This is the Home Service Expert Podcast with Tommy Mello. Let's talk about bringing in some more money for your home service business. Welcome to the Home Service Expert, where each week, Tommy chats with world-class entrepreneurs and experts in various fields, like marketing, sales, hiring, and leadership, to find out what's really behind their success in business. Now, your host, the home service millionaire, Tommy Mello. Hey there, folks. I'm Tommy Mello, the home service expert, and today we're going to be talking with Ryan Meacham about lean and about systematizing your business so that you really don't have a lot of waste. Ryan, how's your day going? I'm great, Tommy. How are you doing? Great. I do want to tell everybody I already have Ryan as a consultant. He's coming in and he's transforming our whole business right now. So at the end of the day, I can tell you I trust this guy. We use him. He flies into town. He lives in Salt Lake, right? Yeah, that's correct. So, Ryan, tell us a little bit about what you've done over the past 10 years and uh, what you're doing today. Yeah, so, you know, I describe it just simply as this. It's a whole process or a whole way of thinking to eliminate things that get in your way. The most important thing about lean is really to focus on the fact, really focus on what bugs you. And if you learn the processes and learn the ways of thinking, then there's a lot of opportunity to move those things out of your way. And most importantly, to prevent them from reoccurring. So it's all, it's just a, a whole system of thinking. So I spent a number of years at a company here in Salt Lake called Power Blanket. Power Blanket's a, a wonderful manufacturing company that makes items for uh, heating items for anything that can be wrapped or anything that's flat or a cube or a cylinder. And uh, you know, when I started there, it was a, it was a great company, but there's no question we had a lot of problems with getting things through the system. I would often uh, not be able to uh, tell customers that at our height, two or three weeks uh, lead time was was pretty standard. And uh, by the time we got through implementing all of the changes we had done, that we had a great team that came together, and uh, we could then produce a product within a two-hour scope of time frame, not two days or not two weeks. So fundamental transformation, and on top of that, it's fun. We had our, our team members engaged. The engagement went through the roof. People were excited that they could create opportunities to uh, change things about how their business ran and what they did. So all in all, a, a fabulous experience. And today I work for an organization uh, called uh, AME and uh, the Association for Manufacturing Excellence. And, and we are a bunch of lean thinkers. Uh, so that's who we are and, and what we do. Yeah. So, you know, when you first started consulting us, we really didn't I know Adam bought in a lot, but I wasn't completely till I actually saw the process. So what lean really means to me is it's not only it's staying so organized. There's no waste. If there's not a spot for it, you get rid of it and everything's labeled. And um, it started in Japan. Can you go into kind of the, the definition and where it began and the history about the lean manufacturing? Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you the short version because there's tons of history behind this. It really started uh, with one of the founders of the Toyota Motor Company, but it actually predates Toyota Motor Company. And so the Japanese version of it came from the founders of Toyota. And one of the thought processes behind it is before they were car manufacturers, they made looms. It was a family loom business. And so they created a way that would stop a loom if there was a mistake. And the most frequent mistake was a broken thread. So this was a machine that would stop itself before making a lot of waste just when a thread broke. And that then started in Japan and came from uh, elsewhere. But 
from the Toyota Motor standpoint, they really took some ideas that really started with Henry Ford. And a lot of the, the processes or thinking behind Lean was started with Henry Ford, but didn't really catch on here in the States. And so Toyota began a process after World War II of kind of rebuilding their company and rebuilding their country. And they went back to the fundamental principles that came from Ford, and they really took it to a, a whole new level. And what's happened is a company that is constantly transforming because it is in and of itself continuous improvement. So they didn't just uh, create it once, but they created a system to continuously learn. They're not perfect. Nobody who does this is perfect. But what they are is, I think, hands down, the best learning organization in the world. And that's why certain companies have fits and starts trying to implement this simply because it's a learning process and you have to create an environment that's people-centric. You have to create an environment where people feel like they can make improvements and there's opportunities to always improve. So that's that's kind of the history and worked, uh, how it gets us to our present day. Yeah, so we had the opportunity to tour a plant here in Phoenix that actually does this. And it was, I think that's when I bought on 100% is yeah. I actually saw it in motion. I saw the employees, the CEO, the way they were all working, the way that everything had a label, the organization, and just the atmosphere of continuously optimizing efficiency. I mean, the cool part is, is I, I don't think a lot of people have adopted this in the home service industry yet. I think everybody says, yeah, that's manufacturing, kind of like the Six Sigma stuff. But tell me a little bit about how we're actually going through this and how it works in the home service industry. Yeah, that's a great question because the beauty of it is it doesn't just apply to manufacturing. Anything that is a process, it can be applied to. And everything a business does is a process. And most frequently what happens in, in many businesses is when something goes wrong, the most frequent question is, well, who did that? Who do we have to blame? Why did that person do something wrong? Instead of the better question is, what in the process allowed that person to do that? Or what in the process allowed that to happen? If we start with the premise that everybody wants to come to work and do a good job, I've been with you, I've seen your folks, I know that when they come to work every day, they want to do a good job. And so when something goes wrong, clearly there was something in that process that allowed that thing to happen. So within the home services business, it applies the same to home services and everywhere else. In your case, if you're trying to get a door from a manufacturer into your facility and then into someone's home, those are all processes. And anything that breaks down within that process, we need to understand why. And so frequently we'll go through and ask five different levels of why. Well, why did the door show up at the wrong time? Or why did the door is an incorrect size? Okay, well, it was an incorrect size because it was measured wrong. Okay, why was it measured wrong? Is it an issue of training? Is it an issue of standards? So that type of process is just simply goes through to understand really what happened, why it happened, and how we can uh, keep it prevented from happening in the future. So it's been a great ride. And what I found working with A1 is that the team members are very open-minded. They come to work and they want to do a good job. And if they find a way of doing a better job, that then becomes engaging. And so from a home services industry standpoint, my question would be to everyone out there, wouldn't you want more engaged team members? And if you had more engaged team members, how much more could you grow? How many more lives could you touch with your quality of service and with what you're able to do? I think everyone would want to do that. 
And yeah. so applying this, this way of thinking is just a way to get from point A to point B to help them with that. You know, we're working on a lot of stuff right now implementing, but what the main thing about lean is the culture, but more is that there's a spot for everything. It's organized. What yeah. foam is that called? The foam? Is it? Yeah, there's a great product uh, that a great guy named Paul Akers makes uh, called Kaizen Foam. And there's other versions of it out there on the marketplace. But the whole concept behind this is if you open up a drawer, you should be able to see in one glance if everything is there. And if it's not there, what exactly is missing, which also prevents extraneous things from ending up in that same drawer. So you take up the space, you define what should be there. And when you define what should be there, then by definition, there are several things that shouldn't be there. Sure. And it just makes it clear. When we went into that facility and everything had a spot, I mean, I've never seen so much productivity in my life. And, you know, the Pareto rule, the 80-20, explain how this really, how does lean apply to the 80-20? Yeah, yeah, great question. So uh, Mr. Pareto years ago came up and said, you know, that almost in, in every scenario, you've got 80 things, 80% of something that takes up your time. And so understanding if you uh, get into, I'll use another example, the same company that we're talking about, they have an excellent uh, Kanban system, which simply is a fancy word that indicates when something needs to be reordered. And so if you walk up to any place in their facility and you start withdrawing product from a shelf, whatever that product might be, it has a signal or a card that says, once you get to this level, pull this card, give that to your purchasing folks, that then creates the reorder system. And so creating those Kanbans or creating those signals, those, that, the, those visual signals is a wonderful way, a very practical way of understanding when action needs to take place. And if there's something that breaks down in that system, you have a system to go back and fix, or you have a, a scenario where you can go back and say, well, that reorder level was either too high or too low because we either still have items or we don't have enough. So let's go back and adjust. But that's part of the continuous learning part of this whole process. So those are great examples. And then uh, going back to the Pareto principle, if you're tracking the errors that get made, what you'll quickly find out is that you can group your errors into certain categories. And by creating a Pareto chart, by calculating the errors or the type of error that happened, you'll very quickly see where you need to pay attention to in your process, what's breaking down. So those are very practical tools that, that you can apply to increase the productivity in your business and the engagement of your folks. Yeah, so I think it's really overwhelming, okay, because you got to get rid of everything. Well, you know what? Let's do this. Let's talk about the five S's. Let's talk about getting this implemented because I hate consultants that say this is the process, but they don't tell you where to start. And there's a lot of guys out there that don't really know how to teach properly. So if I'm a guy out there, I've got a warehouse. I know I've got stuff I haven't touched in years. Tell me about the five S's and what's step one? Yeah, great. Sort. The first thing you got to do is get into and sort through what you have. And really, you've got to make it clear if this is something, for example, a lot of companies use a criteria that that if you are not going to use this in the course of you know, the next year, then you've got to get rid of it. You either, it's not something that's providing any value. And so you can take that value and do something else with it. But, you know, one way or another, you simply got to get rid of it or, or make it clear that uh, the way you do. So that 
that begins a process of really deeply considering what you have that's adding value and simply what isn't adding value, which is very critical, very critical to the whole process. And so once everything is uh, sorted, sorted you, you have to straighten it, meaning that you've got to make it clear whether or not it's supposed to be there, which is the, the, the Kaizen film we were talking about. Does it provide a clear visual way of looking at it? Is it straight? Do I know what's supposed to be there and, uh, and what isn't supposed to be there? And as we go through that process, the shining process is immensely critical because that is the cleaning process of making sure you can't just set it up once and say everything's good. You have to continuously allow time to go back in there and repeat this process so you can sort it all out. And that process really then, by definition, is the standardization. Once you've done the first three, then shining everything is, is the process of cleaning. And then that process has to be sustained in what you're doing. And so the, the sustaining of that process then becomes standard. And that the standardization becomes the fifth part. So it, it's a simple way of thinking about it is you got to sort through it. You have to define a place for everything and everything in a place. You have to constantly clean it. And if you repeat those same three things over and over, you've created the process that's going to sustain you over time. So it's a very simple concept. People can make it very difficult. But in reality, it's a simple process that is really the foundation of a lot of making things visible, which is what you're trying to do. You're trying to, you're, you're trying to make it so clear that you could walk out anywhere and observe, are we doing what's expected or are we not doing what's expected? And if not, why not? So that's, um, that that's opens the gate to a lot of visual understanding. Yeah. And, and you know, that's, I say half of it. And the other half, the CEO told me his name was Chris. Uh, yeah. I think it's Chris. Chris. You know, we won't go into what company it is cause I didn't get his permission, but he basically said he'd pull his hair out. He'd go around blaming people saying, this is not how it's done. He'd not, you know, delegation is part of this, but he had a lot to blame and us as CEOs, owners, we, we blame a lot of people for, you know, nobody does it the way that I do it. Nobody cares. And that's a huge problem for a business. So he said he was pulling his hair out for two and a half years and he's been on lean for about three years now. And he said, yeah. it's just the company runs itself. If somebody, you know, what's really cool is they got a slide that goes all the way downstairs. And, you know, they said, if you add up how many times the people go up and down, I mean, it adds up to thousands of hours a year for how many employees they had to go down a slide rather than go down the steps. It makes it more efficient. So, but the coolest thing I saw is he text messages 10 people a morning. He starts his day off. He did it in his home. He's got the Kaizen phone with the shaver, with the toothbrush. So I think he took it to the next level and that takes time. We're having a hard time going through the sorting still. Yesterday, I had to sit everybody down and go through dates and we all agreed Getting all the management involved is half the battle and then just taking a hard stance on a date. And that reminds me of uh, Parkinson's law. And I've been talking to you a lot about this, but work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. And everybody wants these long deadlines, but they're not going to do it till the final week. So I said, what's going to happen next week? What's going to happen the week after? So I've got all kinds of notes on what's going to happen by next week because the proper delegation says – this needs to be done by this date, and it's it's a process. So let's go into that a little bit. Yeah, so 
you know, that's absolutely true. And, and all of us in the working world understand that, you know, that to be the case. The work typically will expand to the amount of time that's given to it. And so part of the opportunity here is that to clarify what to start doing, what to stop doing, and what to keep doing. And so having these conversations helps in the understanding that the reprioritization of time so that those items can get done. And so, you know, one of the main principles of lean thinking is standard work, meaning that, that you create standards about what needs to be done and when. I've got my standard work that I use every day. There's a series of things that I have to do on a daily basis and on a weekly basis and on a quarterly basis. And if I'm doing those important things, which tie to my goals, which tie to the outcomes that I'm trying to do, if I can maintain the discipline of following through my standard work and when something goes wrong or when something doesn't get met, changing that standard work, that's a big part in being able to meet these deadlines because we've got clarity on the steps we're trying to take in order to get there and we've defined what success is and that helps in the prioritization of what needs to get done and, and it creates bigger clarity around deadlines about what can get done and what uh, can get done. So to me, having a standard work of what I do and how I interact with my team members, a very critical piece to the whole puzzle. So does that kind of tie into SOP, standard operating yeah. procedures? Yeah. So let's use a, a simple example. Let's use a, a cleaning the bathroom example. Every company has a bathroom. And when you walk into the bathroom, if the standard work says that I, as the owner of the business, am once a week going to go in and straighten up the bathroom because it's my turn. That's what the standard work says. So I should be able to walk in and on one piece of paper between six and eight steps should clearly tell me the steps I need to do in order to, to clean the bathroom. I need to get this disinfectant. I need to get this brush and I need to clean out the toilet. Then I need to wipe down the counter. Then I need to take out the trash. Whatever steps that we've agreed upon need to get done. That same concept then should apply throughout the organization. So when it comes to the home service industry, whatever needs to get done, you should have a very clear simple way on one piece of paper with eight steps that I could walk up to and perform this repetitive task. But if I'm doing those continuous things, then I'm going to think of a way to do it better. Then I take that one piece of paper, I throw it away, I create a new piece of paper with some additional steps, and I figured a way that it's not going to take me as much time. But if everybody did that same thing, then we would find a time that would be consistently safe throughout the organization. So that whole mindset of create a standard, adhere to the standard, and when things break down, go back and fix the standard, then you've created a continuous learning organization. And that's all Toyota does. Every time they make mistakes or things that go wrong, every time something goes wrong, the team comes together, they solve the problem right away, and they engage in a, uh, they solve the immediate problem, but then they engage in a scientific thinking process of how do we prevent this? What are we going to do to keep this from happening again? And that's a cycle that Deming created called a PDCA or a plan, do, check, adjust cycle. So once we've solved the immediate problem, now we're going to plan what we're going to do, how to keep it from happening. Then we're going to do that. But then we have to go back and check it to see if what we, the standard we created, we're getting the results we expected. 
And if so, great. If not, then we need to create an adjustment. And we just keep repeating that cycle. That cycle, when everyone understands that PDCA cycle, solves the underlying root cause of problems, not just whatever happened to be the crisis of the moment. So a good example is I talked to you about a week ago and I said, when we mismeasure a door, we're keeping them so we don't keep them. We're keeping them in an area. We'll get rid of them within two weeks. And then at a certain point, we recycle the metal. And you said, okay, I like that. But you said, what do we do to stop the mismeasurements? So let's go to the root of the problem. And I think a lot of times we don't really, we don't take back. And I guess that's, in this case, it's checking and then adjusting to find out what the mistakes are. So the conclusion was, what can we do to stop mismeasurements? Well, we could you know, verify a picture of each measurement and have the proof there. And that's solving the problem. So, and you said it earlier, you asked five whys to get to the root of it. Can you explain that whole process to be a little bit more clear on how to get to the root problem? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So let's go back to the door example. So we'll start with the problem that, that a door came back. All right. We got the door back. All right. Why did the door not fit? Well, the door didn't fit because there was a discrepancy between the width of the door and the width of the tracks. All right. Well, why was there a discrepancy? Okay. Uh, There's a discrepancy because the individual who measured it either didn't follow the standard or was confused about the standard, but his process of measuring did not create the result. Okay. Well, then let's go to the fourth why. Why was he unclear? Was it a training? Was it that he was doing it differently than the other guys? Well, let's say in this case that he thought that he was measuring the right thing, but what really needed to be measured was the the distance between track A and track B. And I was, okay, so now we've got to the root cause. It was not understanding of what to measure. So now we need to create a standard. If everyone would follow the same standard about the way to measure that we knew track A, track B, run the tape from here to there, and everybody did that every single time, that would eliminate that problem, we think. So now we create a plan to do that. That's our P. Now we're going to do that action. Now we're going to put that standard into place. But then we have to, two weeks later or whatever the case is, we need to go back and check that and ensure that it really is solving the root cause. If there are still mismeasurements after that, we need to get into those and understand why that happened. So that's the thinking, the scientific thinking behind the five whys. So one of the things we're doing with Al, uh, Al Levy, I've had him on the podcast. Uh, yeah. He's actually, I'm a big fan of consulting. You know, we're not a, we're not a master of everything. So you came on, you're helping us implement lean and a lot of other things. He's coming on really more on an operational standpoint. The first thing that we're doing right now after the org chart, which we had an org chart, it just wasn't mm-hmm. up to the levels, is building manuals for every single role. And they're short, sweet, systematic, to the point on basically standard operating procedures, but there's 31 manuals and I'm adding about five more. So we're going to have a lot, but the big three are dispatchers, technicians, and call center representatives. So it's very interesting how lean ties into what L teaches as well. He's a seven power contractor. So tell me a little bit about this bathroom stuff, because I think lean starts with the bathrooms and it starts with management and the owner getting involved. Yeah, you could go to uh, to YouTube and I'll just give this as an example. 
There's a lot of companies that have implemented the book Two Second Lean, Paul Akers and his thinking behind that. There it is right there. Paul's <laughs> a great guy. And one of the things he talks a lot about is lean starts in the bathroom, meaning that if you can just get the team to understand a standard way of caring for the bathroom, it is an important place. It's a place we all use. You think, this is crazy. Why would we want to start there? It's because it's so important. And creating the system where everyone can understand what it means to keep a place clean and orderly, then that really starts there and goes throughout your entire organization. So if you can get your head around how important the bathroom cleaning is, and he's got great examples in his book and on YouTube videos of what that eight-step process looks like. And uh, he went through and standardized the cleaning agents they used, the brushes they used. They didn't, they weren't, you know, at one point early on, they were buying, I think he said, eight different types of cleaner because everyone had their own opinion about what the cleaner was. Well, that's a lot of waste. Just create one cleaner, one process, then everything gets ordered the same. When they may have, you know, say three cleaners on the shelf, when that second one gets pulled, they, they pull the Kanban or the card that says reorder, they'll reorder another couple of them and put them behind the others. So all of these concepts flow together, the standard work, being able to see, walking in there and knowing whether it has been done or hasn't been done. And when it comes right down to it, it creates just a great feeling to know that you got a clean bathroom. Everybody wants a clean bathroom. Yep. So it's a great place to start. So those Kanban cards, you know, what, what Paul suggests, and everybody has their opinion, but I love having a QR code to know where we got that product from because yeah. nowadays I could take my phone, scan it, it goes to Amazon, one button, and it arrives the next day, the cleaning supplies. So yep. there's so many more efficient ways to run. And when you see it in action, it's just – it's a game changer. I mean, the time spent, the efficiency – I mean, I'd say we're at like 15% efficiency. If we could get to 30, that would be double. If we could get above 50, I mean – I see right now in our call center, we don't do a lot of outbound. We're focusing on the downtimes to build the outbound. I mean, that alone, yeah. we're booking 130, 40, 50 calls a day. We could be booking 250 by just a simple little thing. So we're starting, we're making movement. And I've always hated big companies that it takes 10 years to push something through. And it, it's right. bugging me right now how long this is taking. But it's so hard for this. This is a whole mindset. It's a whole paradigm shift. And, you know, how do you get, I think a lot of times the owners probably do buy in, but they're just, they keep hitting a wall. How do you get everybody involved and how do you really build a habit of it? Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent question. I was just talking with another friend this morning about the very same question. And, and I got thinking about where I've seen this work well and what they use. So I'll use a big example and then kind of a medium-sized example. Big example company called Barry Wade Miller. This is um, a company you've never heard of, but supplies a great deal of machinery to what actually makes things out in the world. So uh, they're a company located in uh, St. Louis. They used to be a very small company. Today, they are a multi-billion dollar company that has now taken place or they've now executed more than 100 acquisitions over the course of the last 20 years. So this is a company that not only has been growing internally, but they grow by acquisitions. So they bring in these other companies. Now, most acquisitions don't work simply because you can't merge the cultures. 
And in the case of Barry Waymiller, and this is Bob Chapman is the name of the CEO, and he's written a book about this called Everybody Matters. And they are experts at bringing people in and teaching them about their way of thinking and their climate because it's very people-centric, very focused on them. The way they do that is they created what they call the Barry Waymiller University. In other words, it's a teaching program and they're a large organization. They've got tens of thousands. Well, I think they've got about 10,000 employees. I think when he wrote the book, they had about 8,000. But worldwide, I think they've got 10,000. This is a very big organization. They created their own learning process. But the key behind that is you can scale this. You don't have to create your own, own university. What you do have to create is a process to learn. If you incorporate, you have to take time to teach the team members. And so if you have 10 people or 50 people, or 100 people, or 1,000 people, or 10,000. The principle's all the same. Focus on what you want to teach. Create a process to do the teaching. Within that teaching process, then, now, as people onboard, they're able to participate in this onboarding, teaching, and learning systems. And if you create the, I don't want to call it schoolwork, but maybe the materials you're using, whatever books, whatever system, if you're constantly going back to those and teaching them out of those same thoughts, then all of a sudden your team can speak the same language and everybody has to speak that same language or it doesn't work. So you have to create a process to teach people as they come in and to reteach people. The other example I was thinking of is a company here in Salt Lake I just love. It's called OCT Tanner. OCT Tanner does custom jewelry. They started by making pins. And almost everything they do is custom. They do the same thing. They have a handful of books that they use that that really define the culture. And as people come in, and every year people have to recertify in these same classes and same ideas. And it's very healthy for the organization because these ideals create in people's mind a little bit of an understanding of the gap. Meaning that they see where they are today, but this literature, these Thinking systems helps them see where they can be. Then they identify the gap. Where am I today versus where I could be? Then you can take action about how to close that gap. So that thinking process, that's the only way to get it system-wide. You have to create a system so people speak the same language. Yeah, I think training is probably the biggest missing step in most companies. And it's not only training, it's retaining. Train, retain, so recruit, train, and retain is like yeah. so important. And um, I think one of the things we're working on by July is actually we're going to restructure everybody's pay pretty much in the company to where we're building a budget, which incorporates a great holiday party. It incorporates one-year anniversary gifts. It incorporates some great things for the company and a certain profit margin of between 18 yeah. and 22%. And then based on those goals – comes bonuses for every single employee and some of the, you know, CSRs and I'm not going to call them smaller roles, but definitely not upper management. You know, it might not be as good, but everybody's working for the same goal, the same. And the more we hit above that, the more everybody gets and it builds in those margins. And it's just a better way. I've got a gal named Ellen Rohr, who's amazing at this stuff coming in to help. And uh, I'm one of those guys. I've got a ping pong coach. I've got a golf coach. I've got a a trainer at the gym. I love the killer ping pong game now. Yeah, it's getting better. I can beat Adam half the time. So, (laughs) Uh, but I'm a big fan of, you know, I coach other people, but also 
I'm not a master of anything. So we need to, you know, there's certain things I'm good at. And I'm all about booking rates and, and conversion rate and sales and marketing. Yep. Marketing I'm obsessed yep. with. But why would you not seek help for something that you might not be so good at? You know, I think a lot of people, they're mediocre at so many things. But if they make those the great things, then they get the right help. They could have an extraordinary company. But it really starts with the people. And I talked to a guy on the podcast about leadership. This was about six months ago. And and it's really about this whole mechanism of lean is about leadership. It's about mm-hmm. the management starts it. A lot of the employees don't even know what it is till the management's actually doing it in the workforce for a month. And you lead by example. And I got to tell you, my office is not perfect yet, but it's it's going the right direction. But I want to lead. I want. I told them every drawer by the end of this month has to be organized. I want to be able yeah. to go or I'm I'm going to put it in a plastic bag and they're going to have to go through it at home. I mean, I don't know what else to do. Is that do you think that's the right approach? Well, I, you know, the invitation to make improvements is part of that culture. And you do have to create time. So part of my standard work every day, the first thing I do, I have 15 minutes to do the five S. So I need to sort, I need to straighten, and I just need to do those steps every day. But if I don't put that on my standard to take time to do it, doing it one time doesn't help. You need to do it again and again and again. So if it's part of the standard work, then you want to do this because it makes your life better. Your life is so much easier when you're not searching for something to get a job done. So if everyone just understands it from a self-interest standpoint, that if I can keep myself from wasting time looking for something, just that notion itself is enough to get most people on this journey because they say, wow, if I can just take time, a little bit of time to make an improvement every day, my life is so much better. It is. It's you, to the self-interest. You save a lot of time, I'll tell you that. There's a book I'm reading, which you're probably familiar with, called The Miracle Morning. Mm. It's all about taking the time to meditate, living in the moment, and then affirmations, uh-huh. and then reading, and then workout in the morning. So it's an extra hour of the morning. It's a book I recommend. It changed my sister's life. Wow. That's interesting. I use that. I don't know the book, but I use the same system myself. Oh, really? I, I read, I meditate. It's the first thing I do. I have a 30-minute workout that I do. So just those connections, that time to think, to center yourself. And then when I start my day, I know the standards. I know where I'm going to start. And I'm going to start with that cleaning. I'm going to make things better. And that just kind of sets me for a day that's going to be successful. You know, so there's two spectrums I see people. There's a hoarder and there's the absolute minimalist. And I think I'm moving towards this side. I'm not there yet, but, you know, (laughs) I got a good example, and I think I might have mentioned it to you. I had a storage unit when I was like 19 or something, and uh, I paid for it for two years. I remember I had speakers. I had some memorabilia stuff, punching bag, dressers. And uh, one month, I think my visa had fraud on it, and I didn't update it with the uh, storage unit. So I went there one day, and they said, oh, yeah, we auctioned all that off. I was really bummed out. But then I thought about it, and I'm like, I don't really miss any of it. You know? and. My phone reset. It was in my pocket the other day. I was shooting pool and it kept trying a different pattern. And after 10 times, it automatically does a factory default reset. Oh my gosh. And I looked on there and I'm like, I wonder if there's anything I'm going to miss. I had to reset Uh some passwords and I got last pass on my phone. But 
I don't really miss it. And so many people, they keep this, uh, I'm just going to, they keep shit around uh-huh. their, their house and they keep it around the work. And, you know, I used to order a thousand if I could get 10% off. Yeah. And now that's not the case. I mean, we're dumping a lot of stuff and we're taking the calendars off the wall. There's no reason for a calendar. You got a Google calendar. There's no reason for a lot of the stuff, the little notepads everywhere. Yeah. Like, why not just set, either do it today, you know, either scan it, file it, or throw it out. Those are the yeah. three things. So get rid of the paper. And me and you've been talking about, let's talk a little bit about the concept of getting rid of email and get going paperless. So those yeah. are two huge projects that we want to do by the end of the year. Talk to me a little bit about those and how that's going to work. Email is the biggest time waster in business today. It's so frustrating. And what I found is that you've got to get your team members kind of on the same page of doing it differently. And again, I'll go back to Paul Akers because he, he's got some great videos about some of the steps that he's taken to put in place. But one of them, you know, if you just think about your phone and the number of apps that you can do on there that you can video message back and forth takes you way less time is the same concept as an email but it has the added advantage that your your facial features and the inflection in your voice communicate so much. And if you could get your team, instead of sitting down and writing a blast of email that takes too much time, there's no face, there's no voice, there's no understanding. If you could get rid of that and just go to almost a walkie-talkie system with your video apps, you could save an immense amount of time not sitting behind your computer and tapping out a blasted email. I think that what you said, and you've said this a million times, and what's funny about human beings is I say the same damn thing. I remember Adam goes, Tommy, you just regurgitate the same stuff. Like, what's going on? And I said, it's the only things. It's only five simple things I focus on. They're main KPIs. But you said it, and it really clicked, is create the time and make time and you know, when we went into that that other company, as they said, first half an hour is this, the next 15 minutes is this, and then we spend yep. 50 minutes to clean. Yep. That time is allotted for that. And I don't think I've made enough time. And to say, stop, this is the time where we do this right now. So that's one of my goals. That's one of my big takeaways from today. Let me ask you this. Seeing was believing for me. It really was. If somebody wants to go see a lean company at work, what would be yeah. the steps of action to really see it in their area? That, yeah, that's an excellent question. I, uh, I'll give you a couple of resources. One, on Paul Akers' website, he does a – he has a little map and they did a little project. I forget exactly what he calls it, but it's something like lean companies or lean companies in action. But he has – some companies have put – you know, said, hey, we practice a lot of these concepts. And so he has a map that you can go to. You know, another organization that people can tap into – is the one I work with, the Association for Manufacturing Excellence, because we go around the country at least once a year. We put on a major conference. It has more than 2,000 attendees. It's the largest wing conference in the world. And every place we go, we line up several tours. And these tours is the going, seeing, and believing. And aside from that, we have nine regions throughout the U.S. and Canada. And within each of these regions, they also create and organize these tours for people to go and see. So you can see, you go to ame.org and uh, see a lot of uh, go and see opportunities. And that's, you know, what I specialize in for the organization is creating consortia, which are 
lean learning networks. It's simply a way of getting companies in a metro area together so that they can learn from one another. And we've got several of them started up throughout the U.S. and we're starting up more. So these are all opportunities to go and see, because as you said, seeing is believing. And if you want to do a simple thing, if you don't want to even leave your office, I would encourage you to uh, go to Paul Akers and he has a 10 minute, very, very quick tour of his company called Fast Cap. And you don't even have to go anywhere. Open up YouTube, uh, search for Paul Akers Fast Cap tour, and, and you can take a 10 minute tour of his facility. Have you ever been to like an outing or an expo and you walk away energized and like I had fire. I mean, everybody in this company had this fire. We came in, we started cleaning and then it kind of just, it flatlines. And what is a good way? And I think the best practices and start holding yourself accountable. Like you met with Sean from four energy. He wants to get together and and work on this together. And what I'm going to do after this is get on Facebook and see what I could do to get other people involved to get five or six business owners, because the more you could get out here for us, the better. What was that website that you said to get a hold of you and to get a hold of your company? AME.org. We're the largest AME uh, membership organization in the world. So AME.org. So AME.org. And if somebody wants to reach out to you personally, Ryan, what would be the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, drop me an email, a simple email address, rmecum, so R-M-E-C. H-A-M at A-M-E dot org. And I'll be happy to help and point you in the right direction uh, because uh, you're right. It's all about, you know, there's a very emotional element to this. And the beauty of continuous improvement is you constantly reinvest the emotion by seeing the outcomes that come from this continuous improvement. And if you can get the whole team on that same page, wow, I'm telling you what magic happens when you got everybody in the boat rowing the same direction and recognizing there's rocks all over the place there's you know cliffs there's obstacles to overcome and you know that the ride is not going to be smooth you're going to knock the boat on the bottom you're going to beach it sometimes but that confidence that you can go back in when the mistake happens go back in and fix the process it's beautiful because people get excited about being able to solve problems in their life that's what most people want to do they just want to come to work do the right thing and give them an opportunity to make it better yeah yeah and you know a lot of people have come into my work we've got the best team ever but we've got firefighters we have been a firefighter company and we've got the best firefighters in the business, man. I'll tell you, from the top down, we could solve any problem. We go fix it. But we got to think a little bit deeper. You know, we've got you've met Bruce. Bruce yeah. is a firefighter. He just deals with unhappy customers. And I've always had a rule of thumb that one percent of customers are always going to give you a headache. Well, we're serving four to five thousand a month, so that's forty to mm-hmm. fifty fires a month. But really, what we're doing now is we're building a file for each of them and saying, is it coming down to one person? Where's the system broken that that problem arose? So what happened is Bruce came to me and said, Tommy, I'm going to need an assistant. I'm going to need someone to help me with this as we grow. And it really, really struck me because I said, no, I I really want to figure out how to get less of these problems. What can we do to stop it? So, you know, we're we're getting a lot better and uh, it is a continuous platform and I love the fact of a guy like you coming on board to hold people accountable because I'm such a huge fan of accountability from me especially I mean it, it's really 
when I came in here, started scrubbing the walls and repainted the bathroom. It just, you should have seen people were coming next to me. They started mopping. They started, and it really does have to take place from the top down. And me and Adam have got to make the time to sit down with you once a week. And I've not done a great job of that. So that's one of many of my goals and takeaways. And I really want to get several companies involved in this in the Metro Phoenix area just because of accountability and working at it together because it's crazy. The output of an efficiency, if there's anybody out there listening to this podcast, I could tell you, forget everything on sales, marketing, anything else, because you need to get organized. The first step is to get everything organized to get the whole team moving in the same direction. And if you could do that, that's, this is where it all starts. And, uh, you know, a lot of people might be thinking lean. I've heard of lean, lean manufacturing. Explain the difference between lean and Six Sigma. Just so people understand that that's not the same in the same hemisphere. Yeah, sure. If you know what a Venn diagram is, think of it in, in terms of circles. Part of the circles overlap and part of the circles don't. So there, there's definitely some overlapping concepts. The best way to think about, I think, Six Sigma is it's a very statistically driven process. And if you're in systems that require very tight tolerances or very high volumes of certain things, I know some folks out there who are just absolutely brilliant when it comes to the application of some statistical methods to get down. And it's really a quality-driven process. And the whole Six Sigma idea, if you're familiar with statistics at all, you're probably familiar with the curve. Curve, and, yeah. The standard deviation in that curve is called a sigma. And so one sigma, basically 68% is within one sigma. Then two sigma gets within 95%. By the time you get to six sigma, you're talking a very small, minute you know, change of variation of what you're doing. What they're trying to do is they're trying to get down to really understanding that. So, so there's definitely six sigma tools that absolutely can be applied within the lean thinking or the lean world. I would describe lean thinking as very broadly applied. It simply is solving problems that bug you in a way that really tackles the root cause and really understands the different forms of waste and going to battle against those forms of waste. That's a good way. So there's definitely some overlap, but there's a lot of people can get by with lean thinking and and don't need to get into Six Sigma. There's other operations out there that are very much reliant upon the thinking that comes from that level of quality. So you can pick and choose, but I think that the thinking behind Six Sigma really rests upon the lean thinking and, and understanding what the main causes of waste are and how to eliminate that in your process. So that's probably a, a short version of what those terms mean. Yeah, I really think that people get confused. Lean is, it helps with inventory. It helps with culture. It helps moving in the right direction. It helps just clear the clutter. And it's about creating more efficiency in everything you do. Instead of ABC, how do you get to C quicker? It's drawing a straight line to get to the, the root cause and Really about, like, for example, we use screws when we do a a garage door with a double wood overlay. And the first thing I thought is I saw the guys out there taking one screw out. It it was a process. So I said, we need a screw gun for a half-inch screw. So we're working on ordering those right now. Just if you can make it five seconds faster for every minute, you just eliminated a huge percentage of, and do that with every single task. And Paul Akers in the Two Second Lean talks about how it used to take him an hour to set up a cabinet. So he used to build 10 at a time and then yeah. it would just sit on the shelf. So when he hired these guys from Japan to come out, 
they said, no, we're going to show you. It went from an hour setup to under a minute. And you yeah. realize that you could just create these efficiencies. And I got to tell you, it's the most exciting thing. And it's your passion. And I can tell when you talk and you get going on it that it's just it's amazing. What I'm going to do is we're going to build a, a landing page for just this podcast. And I'd like to put some resources and videos on that page so the listeners oh, will have that. Great idea. So we'll do that. And then there's also this other book, The Toyota Way. Toyota Way. And tell me a little bit about what they'll find in this book. Yeah, uh, Jeff Liker wrote that book and he wrote, there's, oh, I forget, there's probably five or six of them now. But what he did, that was kind of the first book that opened up many people's eyes to what really goes on behind Toyota. And he has 14 principles in there that many have come to understand from an outsider perspective. He spent a lot of time with Toyota understanding their processes and he came in from an outside perspective but wanted to write about it and explain it to others. So one of the great things about that book is it really has some very fundamental pieces of that. Then he took that idea and he leveraged it into several other books about uh, the Toyota way, explaining how they go about culture and how they go about training and how they inculcate the culture in doing that. So Jeff Liker is extremely well respected, uh, not only in the automotive industry, but in the lean thinking world and for bringing to light a lot of how Toyota brought these to pass and, and apply them in their day-to-day work life. So a fun book, fun book, and it led to several others. Yeah, I think it's interesting if you walk in someone's office and they really truly are living lean, everything's kind of just, they get to have a slow conversation. They're not in a hurry. There's time. And that's one thing that we can't get back is time and there's clutter. Yeah. Clutter creates a mess and it eliminates the ability to have time. And, uh, I'm excited about it. I think that hopefully the listeners got a lot out of this. I think what I want to do now is just give you an opportunity. There's maybe something we didn't touch upon. Is there anything out there, any other books or any other notions to leave the uh, listeners on? Yeah, start now. Start now. There is no reason that that you need to create. Uh, oftentimes, a lot of companies talk about a burning platform. And, and the concept there is you're out on a platform and there's nothing underneath you. And the platform behind you is burning. So either you got to do something. You can't go back. You can't get off. You've got to fix where you are. You don't have to wait for something like that. And I'm a big believer in seeing things in YouTube because going back to your principle of seeing is believing. So, you know, if you want just to see some fun stuff, what different companies are doing out there, go to YouTube and type in two second lean and you'll find a number of companies and they're very short videos that are thinking about how to do this. And you'll find this in business processes. You'll find this. Um, I found a collision company out in the middle of Missouri who does this. And they do business processes and, and everything under the sun you can imagine. So if you don't think this applies, seen as believing, go to YouTube, type in two second lane, and you'll find a bunch of companies that are taking these principles and running with it. And if you want a fun story and a fun guy, We've mentioned him several times in this. Go to Paul Akers. He's just, yeah. he's, he's so much fun, a way to do this. And he's been through the gamut. And he really talks about making this part of your culture and making it fun. And that's what this is. You don't need to get too wrapped up into a lot of technical processes and procedures. Make it fun and make it people-centric. And, and Paul's just a great guy when it comes to teaching those principles. So anyway, those are my party thoughts. Yeah, I mean, if you build this culture... And it's something that I want. It's something that the money comes with it. You know, if you build it, the byproduct is cash in your pocket, which everybody went in to start a business to make money. I mean, at the end of the day, but it's just a byproduct of running a good business, isn't it? 
The great thing about when you think about capitalism from a conscious perspective, Raj Sosodia talks a lot about this in Conscious Capitalism and Bob Chapman. If you think about the outcome of capitalism, yes, you are certainly going to have an outcome. Your, your business is going to be more efficient. If you stay focused on the people, not only will you make money, you will make lives. People will become better because of your association and working together. What more could you want out of life than to touch the lives of people and making it so that they go home happier? They go home more engaged at work. They're going to be more engaged at home. If they're more engaged at home, they're going to have a better home life. They're going to come back to work better. So if you think about all of the stakeholders, not just from a, hey, we have to have money. Yeah, we got to have money. And that process doing it right is going to improve the lives of people. I think I ordered that book. Didn't you tell me to order Everybody Matters? I wanted to show it on here, but I'll put a link to it. That was one of the books you told me about, right? Yeah, Everybody Matters, Bob Chapman. I got it here. Great example, great story. Yeah, you know, there's also a link that if, you know, you sent me, and I'll make sure it gets on here. I'll have Johnny throw it on, but it's the guy that said, what's the first thing they really got is uh, the guy said, uh, you know, when we went to Lean and, and we really started to listen to the employees, is he goes, I'm talking to my wife again. And, uh, you know, it really kind of gives me the goosebumps because it just changes people's lives outside of work, too. And it's you become, you know, I think what you got to ask yourself is what are people going to remember me as when I'm buried at six feet mm-hmm. under? And uh, and I think you start thinking about that a lot deeper when you're our company's starting to grow. We've got a couple hundred employees and, uh, you know, I'm starting to be able to focus on the bigger picture. I think it's really tough when you got three guys out there. You're trying to answer the phones. You know, you got kids and uh, there's just, you know, you're, you're wondering, where do I start? I'm working 12 hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, what do you say to the guys? And we'll end this right now. But what do you say to those guys that are just they're running a million miles? They're working in their business every day. They're, tr- they're trying the best they can. You've got to take a step back and work on it, not just in it. You know, the, the E-Myth Revisited talks about that quite a bit. Got to work on the business and part of working on the business is understanding that systems and people can learn this stuff. You know, I think one of the challenges a lot of people have coming out of the gate is, you know, going back to the firefighter mentality. Yes, got it. There's no question. There are times you've got to go out and fight those fires. Don't just stop there. You have to ask yourself, what is going to prevent the fire from happening again? And, you know, you approach the business and bring people together with different mindsets. I'm not a great firefighter out there. Honestly, fires drive me crazy. I want to I want to understand what caused it so I can prevent it because I don't want to run around like a chicken with my head cut off. I want things to operate smoothly. And so we've got to take a step back. So don't just work in the business. You've got to take a step back and work on the business, work on those processes. Yeah, so I got to thank Aaron Evans because he introduced me to you. You used to work for Power Blanket, which he's he's the owner of that company. And yeah. uh, I would say this because I wanted to leave. If you're ever in Utah and get a chance to go visit Power Blanket and you could give him a tour, it really is fascinating some of the things that have evolved in that company. And, and I talked to him about a week ago and he said they're absolutely smashing it. They're moving into different verticals and oh, yeah. just the whole culture there. And I actually I've been there. But I haven't been there since you've, you know, changed some of the systems. So I want to go back, hopefully within the next 
month or two, get out of the, the heat here in the summer. But uh, Ryan, I got to say, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this today. And uh, I think the listeners will get a lot out of it. And I, I really believe in it. I, I got to tell you, every day that we're not moving that direction, I feel like is a wasted day. So yeah. thanks again for jumping on. And uh, hopefully, you know, we could get you back on. I really want to do a video of when the place is completely done and have you talk about some of the things we had to break through to get to that point. So we'll do that. Yeah, Thank you so much. And we will, uh, we'll chat again. Thanks, Tommy. Good to All see right. you. you. Thank take you. Care. All right, buddy. This was the Home Service Expert Podcast. Now listen up. Do you want to dominate your market? Triple the profit you make without working those long 12-hour days, seven days a week? If the answer is yes, my team and I are opening up some new time slots to help you solve your biggest business challenge. Just go to homeserviceexpert.com forward slash discovery and book a free 30-minute call with our team today. I will repeat that. Homeserviceexpert.com forward slash discovery and book your free call today today.